Hello and welcome to the Victory Bell, the podcast. I am your host, Paul Oren, the founder and editor of thevictorybell.com, a website and newsletter dedicated to Valparaiso University Athletics, as is this podcast. If you're not a subscriber to thevictorybell.com, please do so. $5 a month, $49.99 for the entire year. Gets you all the access, all the stories, stuff like the continued commitments for the Valpo men's basketball team. The roster is continuing to grow and I'm sure we'll have more. They've got at least three scholarships remaining. Those will be filled here in the coming days and weeks as we get into the summer. And that's really what this podcast is about today. I've got Todd Eichow joining us, the voice of Alpo Athletics, to kind of go through a year-end thing. What was the 2022-23 school year, athletic year, going to be remembered for? We talk about that. We talk about some of his experiences broadcasting all the different sports. We talk about some of the different sports at Valpo. And then we end it with with something that's interesting is a look back at the Matt Lodick era through the eyes of myself and through Todd. We go through the five best moments and the five worst moments of the Matt Lodick era, something that we really didn't get a chance to do in the fallout of Matt, uh, you know, getting let go from Valpo, then it was the coaching search, then it's been the players and all of that. And I wanted to sit down with Todd, someone who's been there for all of the games, and kind of walk through that whole process. Uh, that was enjoyable to, to relive some of the good moments and tough to relive some of the bad moments, but I think you'll enjoy that. Not a whole lot for me today other than to say let me know at valpovictorybell at gmail.com. If there's any stories you want to read over the summer, there's different things you want me to take a look at, right? You know, last summer I was going to do a whole summer vacation thing where I was looking each week at different program, and, and it just, it was really hard. And plus, I needed some time off a little bit. Um, got some things going on. Going to go out to Vegas in a couple weeks. Uh, I've got a family funeral going on this uh, this weekend here. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what are you interested in reading about? Obviously, I'm going to be paying attention to men's basketball with the, the new players that are coming in. We'll get a chance to know them a little bit more. They're going to be on campus here in a couple days, some of the new guys, and, uh, and we'll feature them a bit more and then just kind of look at the direction of that program. I've got some other stuff that I've got in mind that I want to work on over the summer, but please hit me up if there's any stories, any people you want me to do aware are they now or anything like that uh, you know it's really what this site is all about is, is, is trying to to find some good stories and and I'm going to lean on people who listen and who are fans and passionate about Valpo Athletics and passionate about the Victory Bell so thank you very much I want to turn it over to Todd right now I think you'll really enjoy this kind of look back at the 22-23 athletic season there were a lot of highs there were a lot of lows and Todd and I were there for a lot of it I hope you enjoy this thanks for listening I'll catch you down the line this summer the uh, longest recurring guest on this podcast is Todd Eichow, and we have got Todd here for kind of a season-ending look back at the 2022-23 athletic season. Todd, everything's in the books now. We are truly in the offseason. Um, what's this time of the year like for you? You don't have any games to scramble to or anything like that? I guess uh, for you and I both, the World Series of Poker is around the corner. Um, how are How are you feeling right now? Good. Yeah, that's it. That's that's exactly it. You got it. Um, I, I kind of relish this time of year. The, the weather's always great. Uh, I get a lot of exercises in. Um, I just, you know, this is a little downtime. I, I get to concentrate maybe a little bit more on poker. Uh, I will travel to Las Vegas here in a few weeks and um, give it a go in some tournaments. And, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, kind of um i think almost refreshing i think if it was like now that doing more and more sports if it was uh 12 months of uh you know a game each week or something like that um uh, i think it would probably not be as enjoyable as having a couple months off especially at this time of year which is you know what a great time to be in northwest indiana uh throughout like the early summer months where the weather's really really nice starting starting really what what, what we've had throughout the week well when we're done with this i'm going to the dunes to hike today so i'm i'm this weather is beautiful right now um you know for for those I, i'm sure those listening to this know that your role has expanded beyond just doing men's basketball with the CFPN Valley thing going on. You did a lot more sports. And I know we've talked about this on the pod in the past, how exciting that is for you to kind of vary it up a little bit. But I wanted to talk a little bit specifically about 
what you saw this year as kind of the the person who was at a lot of these events. We're going to start with uh, women's soccer, right? You and I have joked that Valpo is now a soccer school. <laughs> I love the women's soccer program. I do. Starting with Coach Maravich, who's uh, just so great to be around and, and has done such a great job with the culture of the program. It's a fantastic group of young ladies. Uh, you can see the joy they play with. And they're unbelievably talented. And uh, they're outstanding in the classroom. And and they show up at other sporting events. And, and uh, this group of kids, I, and I'd say the challenge, I think, is going to be for John Maravich to keep bringing in kids who not only can fit the culture, but are good enough to keep this team around the top of the conference standing. It's going to be hard. They're going to lose a ton over the next two years. Um, and will he be able to retool and not only keep that culture, but also keep the ability to play around uh, the, the top of the league? They're they're unbelievable. It's a, just a fa fantastic group of girls. Uh, um, they play hard. They play with joy. They're great off the field. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the, the women's soccer season, perhaps more than anything else over the next six months. Yeah, it is just, uh, they're such a great group. They're fun. Um, what was that experience like? That, remember the day that, did you call the game the day that they won the regular season and then Illinois State upset Missouri State that day? Were you on the call for that one? Yeah, yeah. and of course, we we kind of played into it as if, in all likelihood, Valpo was going to be the two seed. I mean, you know, the, the, it, the chances of Illinois State uh, beating Missouri State on that day was probably around 20 to 1. And uh, although I have hit a few 21 shots in my lifetime, I don't normally think they're going to come through. I mean, to be honest with you. Um, so that, that happened right away. They scored like, you know, two goals in the first 10 or 15 minutes and uh, they led throughout and the women's team, the Valpo women's team needed to win that as well. And the game started at the same time. Uh, and I think they were up three, nothing by halftime. So uh, everything was uh Everything was in line, and it started from uh, almost the opening kickoff of the game, of both those games. It was such a fun day, and that's really when I look back at the 22-23 season of all the sports, that's the day that stands out to me more than anything else. Was that That was the most enjoyable day I had as well, Paul. By uh, far. By, sure. by walking, walking down to the field and the word spreading on the sideline amongst the players that Illinois state had beat Missouri state. It was just so fun. Like, I remember Addie Joyner running up to me and saying, do you know what happened? And I'm like, I've been tracking this for two hours, Addie. Yes. I know what happened. It was good. And I think there was an announcement. I think there was an announcement in the crowd every time uh, Illinois state would score and everybody was realizing what was going on. It was really good. It was quite fun. I, I agree. From, from a Valpo athletic standpoint, that day, most enjoyable day I've had in the in the 2022-2023 school year. Um, you had some crazy travel that you had to do in the fall, too, when you're bouncing around from a bunch of different sports. Um, was there anything crazier than your New Mexico State football trip in terms of having to get from point A to point B? Yeah, well, I... I think I was on the road for 12 or 14 days. So uh, there was a lot going on in there. Uh, the basketball team had been on the road. Then we came back, we had a football game, and then we went on the road again for basketball almost immediately. And then and then at the end of all that, when it looked like things had finally calmed down, we found out the day we got back into town, the Valpo had added that New Mexico State football game. So uh, I think we took a, a flight out of Gary and uh, Charles Small and I had, had a conversation about it. He goes, he goes, I just want to thank you for all this, like what you've done. I think it was like seven out of eight days on the road and 12 out of 14 days of either doing a, an event or being on the road. Uh, so it was a very interesting stretch. Uh, but, you know, that's why I do it. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, the road being away can be uh, uh, taxing, but for the most part, uh, it's enjoyable. The football team this year on their road trips on Fridays, they would be kind of pretty intentional about going to do something fun on the road, something educational on the road. I don't remember if it was this year, the one that you took Brandon Vickery to meet uh, racehorses, but um, what uh, that, was that, that this was, year? Yeah. Lexington. Yeah. Yeah. We went to the, uh, it's, it's called the, uh, the United States horse 
something. Yeah, uh, but 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 this is this is the honest to goodness true story. Like if I would list my five favorite horses of all time, uh near the top of the list, maybe in the top three would be Funny Side, uh, who is the gelding. Uh, who won the Derby 20 years ago and then won the Preakness as well before losing uh, in the Belmont. And one of, that was during that stretch where there was a series of horses that kind of would make it to the Belmont and would lose, and Funny Side was one of them. But but I won on Funny Side in the Derby and in the Preakness uh, and just loved the story of the horse, so rare for a gelding to perform that well. Uh, saw him run live in the following year in uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic, which was won uh, that day by Ghost Sapper. And when the Breeders' Cup Classic, the one year was at Lone Star Park. But anyway, when I found out that, hey, Funny Side was there, I got all excited. And Brandon's like, oh, let's take a picture. He didn't understand the importance of this horse. Uh, so I had to kind of clue him in. I, and he's, oh, all right, whatever. So it's just a horse, right? And I'm like, no, you don't get it. But anyway, yeah. uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And, and I give Lannan Fox credit. Um, some coaches would say you get into a town and it's a Friday and all right, let's rest up for the game tomorrow. And Land Fox makes sure there is some sort of trip planned for that Friday afternoon or early evening, uh, whether it be a short hike somewhere like we did in New Mexico. Uh, when we were in North Carolina, we went to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, it's something each year. I think when we were in Dayton, we've gone to the museum the the famous uh, u.s naval museum uh probably not naval air force museum i believe it is but yeah uh, that would make sense in ohio yeah yeah yes, yes so anyway there there's a new activity every single friday when we're on the road uh for me it's great i i just kind of think well the players maybe they'd like to rest but Landon fox thinks this is part of the college experience i guarantee like when a program like Ohio State's going on the road on Friday, they're not they're not going to a horse farm, right? The player not taking all hundred players, they're not doing that. And Lana Fox to say this is part of the experience. And again, these these players are not scholarship athletes. Uh, they're there for the enjoyment of playing football, but for also the enjoyment of the college experience. It's not all about football, uh, but he's still been able to be successful in league play for sure, and he's still been able to find ways for the team to do something enjoyable and bond as a team on a Friday afternoon, the day before a game on the road. You've had an interesting year broadcast wise, because you have had so many partners to work with Tom Byrne, Jennings, Stangle, Kithier. I'm sure I'm missing a few here. Um, just what's that like uh, to, to work with, with these guys, especially Tom Byrne, who man, does that guy get excited about, getting excited about Valpo football. Um, just what, what's it like working with Tom? Yeah, well, he you're right. He loves Valpo football. He's right at the top of the list of all-time loves for Valpo football. Played there, captain, uh, won a conference championship, Valpo football Hall of Famer, wants, lives in the area now, wants the program to compete for a title every year, certainly uh, has plenty of input on what's going on uh, recruiting-wise. Uh, here's a guy who coached on the high school level, now coaching at Valpo High. Um, I think he's he's enjoyable because he, he's true. You know, he's true to who he is. He just yes, loves, absolutely. He just loves that. Loves absolutely who he is and uh, loves the program, loves being around the football program, comes out to practices when he can, tries to send Valpo potential recruits, uh, uh, gives money to the program, uh, doesn't take a dime for doing the game. Any money he's paid for doing the games, he sends back into the football program. And uh, I tell you, we need more guys like that in any in every sport. Uh, it was good. The, the baseball game I did a Saturday final regular season game of the year uh, uh, last Saturday um, after they already clinched the title was not only senior day, but alumni day. And about 20 Valpo baseball alums showed up. And uh, that's great to see. I, I wish we could kind of double that and triple that. And we could see more Valpo basketball alums at, at games. And and I know Roger Powell wants to do that. And, and more football alums. There's plenty of football alums who are still in the area uh, who can come to some more games. Uh, let's, let's grow the excitement uh, with the people who kind of put blood, sweat, and tears into those programs. 
Um, and then Jamie Stengel is another one who's from the area, from a region kid who played basketball here. Um, I got to tell you, I've watched a lot of the games that you guys do together just because it's, you know, I'm covering for the victory bell and all of that. And I just, I get smarter every time I listen to her when I listen to you guys kind of break down games. What's it like working with Jamie? Uh, Jamie's like one of my all-time favorite people. Let's just start with that. Uh, I mean, I don't know anybody who does, who knows her, who doesn't really think fondly of her. Uh, just an unbelievable sense of humor, unbelievable mind, uh, works her butt off doing the games, uh, articulates her. I mean, she did softball games with me each in the last couple of years. She does great with that. Uh, I think she could do football and would be great. Uh, she, you know, her dad played at Notre Dame. Uh, her brothers were college football players and coaches. Uh, I think she could do just about any sport. Uh, and by the way, that Saturday baseball game, uh, there were a couple of people who normally do games who couldn't do the games. Um, and Brandon Vickery said, next person we were going to was Jamie. I go, she would have been phenomenal. Uh, she's done volleyball. Uh, she could do any sport. And uh, she's done even she did a play by play volleyball uh, match last year. Uh, she's just really, really talented. And I know from talking to a lot of the students who've had her as a professor, they love her as well. I mean, uh, we need more alumni like her. And then Aaron Levitt was on the call the other day, too. And always fun to listen to Aaron as well. Um, we're going to get to basketball in a little bit. Um, I just want to, you know, baseball. Do you feel like uh, this program is kind of, you know, picked to finish last in the league? They didn't. They qualified for the conference tournament. Um, and the field looks so beautiful. When it's a nice day out there, it looks so beautiful out there. Just what what do you say about the the – is there upward trajectory of the baseball program right now? You know, you look at the the what they did a year ago. They were far more competitive in a lot of games than uh, their final record would indicate and they had so much coming back they did lose their top two pitchers but they had other pitchers who performed well late in the year coming back they got unlucky really uh they had a pitcher who was uh looked like would be a a, a top of the rotation uh guy this year who started the year strong in connor lockwood and then he got shut down uh, and then shortly after that, they lost lost their starting catcher. They lost their all-conference third baseman. It just was like a, a snowball effect of one thing after another. By the end of the year, they had lost Brady Renfro, their first baseman, who was having an outstanding season. I think he'd reached base the first 30 games or something like that. Uh, it just, in a sport where the injuries aren't as frequent as they are in many other sports, Double was besieged by injuries this year and still found a way to finish in the top eight and make the playoffs. I think you look at what they have coming back next year. They have all their starters coming back except for one, Jake Skrine, who was the transfer from Indiana. Uh, and their pitching rotation, although they'll, they'll lose their best pitcher in Bobby Nowak, um, they return almost everybody else. And they'll get back, hopefully, two guys who will be top of the rotation guys, and Trent Trzinski, who who – did return shortly this year and looked like he was ready to, to turn the corner and would maybe pitch in the postseason, but he's re-aggravated re his injury. And, and the aforementioned Connor Lockwood, who, if he comes back healthy next year, um, could be a, a number one pitcher for you. And, I, and I'm sure Brian Schmack's going to do whatever he can to bring in one or two more really solid arms and just hope that everybody else will improve enough because the lineup's going to score a lot of runs next year. Uh, and they certainly – could improve on it ended up being an eighth place finish. And the main issue was pitching in the bullpen. If they can shore that up and stay healthy in those departments, um, no reason why they can't move up from that eighth spot into, into maybe even the top five. And another team that we kind of didn't even talk about was volleyball. They had lost so much from the previous year, that deep run they made. They came in this year. They won a ton of games to start the year. They got into conference. It was tough. They dealt with some injuries as well. Uh, did How much volleyball did you do this year? Uh, I did uh, zero matches this okay, year. Okay, that's I, I didn't think. Uh, yeah, and, and and really, what it's come down to now is that those volleyball matches on Friday and Saturday with football have become more and more difficult. And Brian Jennings is available. That the, yeah. the uh, soccer matches on Thursday and Sunday are kind of a natural thing where it, it I can fit it into the schedule and not affect football. 
Uh, there, there will be one one game where we'll be on the road for football, and I won't be able to do. But we'll be able to do all the other volley, uh, all the other soccer matches, and and if we can squeeze a volleyball match or two in there, uh, I would. A lot of times, in fact, most Fridays on the road, Brandon Vickery and I would go out, and we'd have our computers up watching the volleyball matches. So I well, this is this is why I ask because I remember you would constantly be like talking to me about volleyball. I'm like. He must have done a game in there somewhere because you're so invested in that program. It's so fun to yeah. to feel that energy. So well, another another program that's similar to soccer, where Karen Avery's done such a great job with the culture and bringing in great kids, and not only the type of kids that um, win, but also are out supporting other programs. And you see the volleyball players at other games, um, and. It, Again, another incredibly well-mannered group of young women that are really a tribute to what Karen Avery has been able to do for all these years. And she re she's retooled. She lost a ton. She retooled, won over 20 games again. And uh, I know they've lost a little bit again, but uh, they're going to get, like, Elise Swistak missed almost all of last year. She's coming back. Bella Rivado is coming back for an additional year. Uh, they had freshmen who played very well. They had other girls who barely had who'd been in the program for a couple of years and barely had played and played very well. Um, they were besieged by injuries and still won over 20. Uh, I think they'll even be better this year. All right. I want to shift the basketball. It's what it's the primary sport, not only that you call that, but the school does. It's the one that kind of got us into this whole thing. Right. Um, it was a tumultuous year this year, without question. Uh, we'll touch on some of that in a little bit. Um, but I think one of the things that's been interesting for probably you and I is that for the last, I don't know, forever, we've known these guys, you know, away from maybe the court. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're all gone. And you and I are still here. We still have jobs to do, right? What, how, how do you, this you is going to be the, this I was just gonna say, Paul, it's gonna be the most interesting season in maybe decades for me. Yeah, how do, uh, how do you how do you, how do you approach this? Right, you don't have the personal relationship. There's so much mystery too, uh, and I've had a chance to meet the, the new coaches and and uh, wonderful group of guys, and and I'm sure they'll be wonderful to be on the road with and be around and and come out to practice and all the other things I've done for years and years and years. But the mystery really is twofold. Number one, what will we see from this coaching staff when the games start? And number two, what will we get from these players that are all pretty much a big mystery? Three players coming back. Um, I don't know how much playing time those three guys are going to give you. You know, it's not, it's not one, th it's one thing when you have three guys coming back, those are guys are going to play 30 minutes a game. And that happens sometimes. Right, we got three main guys coming back. They're going to play 30 minutes a game. We're going to plug in with a Juco. We've got a couple freshmen who are going to eat up minutes. And, and then we'll have an idea what's going on. But we've got three guys who are not top of the rotation type guys. Darius Diavero, Connor Barrett, and Jerome Palm. Um, maybe some will start. Maybe some will play. Maybe some won't. We don't, but that's what I'm saying. It's a mystery. And these guys who are coming in, we don't know. I mean, people are telling you, the people who are telling you, well, we're going to win 20 games. Look at these guys they're bringing in. Nobody knows. And, yeah, and, no, and nobody. If, there's anything, yeah. if there's anything we've learned from the past is when you bring a lot of freshmen in, some work out and some don't. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, some are highly touted. Some are under the radar. Some are transfers. Some transfers didn't even play last year. I mean, who? So it is really, really interesting. It's it's like a mystery, and we're gonna we're gonna get to October, and we're gonna be Paul and I will be out at some practices, and we'll watch what's going on, and and we'll talk to the coaches, and we'll find out like who looks like a diamond in a rough. I, I remember, I think as early as September three years ago, uh, a lot of talk about Donovan Clay, and when I would go to practice, I would say, boy, it looks like we got a really good player in Clay, and the coaches would say. We might even have a better player in Ben Cricky. And I'm like, well, Ben Cricky, like, all right. You know, he did play on the Canadian U19 team, but was not besieged by offers, was kind of under the radar. And I think before he'd ever played a game in a Valpo uniform, 
the coaches knew that this guy was going to be a stud. That may happen again. We may uh, we may uh, show up. It may be October 1st. They've gone through workouts. They're starting to practice now. And we may be told that uh, Cooper Schweiger is the next Alec Peters. We don't know. Yeah, I've heard won't. he's a cross between Drew Timmy and Cameron Crutwig. It might be maybe my favorite. Uh, uh, I, I'm pulling for the kid for the simple fact that, man, the, the coaches that I talk to around him, and none of the Valpo coaches, because we can't talk to the Valpo coaches about these guys. Yeah. At least I can't on the record. Um, so it's uh, it's so many talking to prep coaches and high school coaches and AAU guys, and every player sounds like they're going to be the greatest player in program history. And and this this happens every year. Every year. Uh, and I think, you know, one thing that was always good was the previous coaching staff was really honest with a lot of things before the season ever started. Like so and so looks good, but he's a freshman. And when we get into game get into game time, how much we can get from him, we don't know. He's making shots in practice, but he's a freshman. And when the games start, will he still be able to make shots? We're not sure. Uh, and we'll see how that, you know, that's that's another change. What, what are we going to get from a knowledge standpoint from a lot of these coaches? Now, Roger, we have we have a, uh, a history with. Uh, Roger was around for five years. Um, obviously, we got to know Roger well. Uh, and it looks like, you know, we both have talked to Roger since he's got back. Uh, he's learned a lot. Yeah. It's been seven years, three years at Vanderbilt and four years at Gonzaga. And obviously at Gonzaga, that was a new experience where he was with a legendary coach and a alleged kind of a legendary program. And uh, how much is he able to take from that and move over to Valpo? And, and that's going to be interesting. The coaching staff comes with a ton of experience um, and, it's guys who've been at high majors and know what high major players look like. And are they able to find a guy who's kind of under the radar and maybe could play at a high major? It, I, I think the intrigue comes with a lot of these guys that we don't know about, but they have question marks, but they also have high level talent, none more than Jackson Edwards. This is a great story. I think, Paul, you were the one who told me that Jackson Edwards is coming. You might remember my reaction. Wow, really? And then I thought back to everything this kid has been through in the last 12 months. Uh, you know, he wins a state championship, uh, set to go to Murray State. And I remember watching the state championship game and thinking, this, this guy's going to our conference? Like, how talented he was. I mean, like, freaky. They had, like, four dunks in the first quarter of a state championship game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was worried, like, boy, Murray State's new to the conference. They were going to end a, a kid as talented as Jackson Edwards, who was a top 200 on some lists. And then we ended up doing three Murray State games. This kid can't get on the court. You look at the numbers, and they burned his red shirt by playing him 11 games. They had a change in coaches. He reopened up his recruiting. This is a year ago. McMahon leaves, Prom comes in, and Prom had to re-recruit him. And I think he took a, a a visit to Butler. So he takes a visit to a Big East school. Um, was also heavily recruited by Drake at that time. Maybe the best program in our league. And he ends up still going to Murray State. So obviously Coach Prome wanted him. And then never even gave him a shot, 28 minutes. So what does that mean? We don't know. And anybody telling you, like, well, it was because of this, 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 this. That's garbage. Nobody they knows. Know. They don't know. All we can do is hope that that kid that we saw playing for Cathedral in the state championship game is a year better than he was. And for whatever reason, he didn't play at Murray State. We don't care. We just know there's a talented kid coming to Valpo, and hopefully Roger Powell and that group can get the most out of him. And if they can get the most out of him and he plays up to the ability, which we saw, he's going to be a great player in our league. And then you throw out the year that he missed at Murray State. I think I I can't wait. I think he's going to be an exciting one, and and we'll see. There there there's still a couple open scholarships left. Excited about Jahari Williamson. We will look to the future when it's time to do that. I'm sure we'll be. Uh, I said to you uh, uh, earlier this week. I think that our annual over under is going to be the craziest thing ever because we don't know. We just don't know. No doubt um, about it. And that's and that's 
you know, every year there's new players coming in and you still have to put the over-unders out on them. And I try to judge off what the coaches say and what I see at practice and all that stuff. But once the games start, I mean, you never know. I mean, Who knows? I, I think a year before the season started, uh, back in 16, we were saying, boy, this freshman, Micah Bradford's going to have a huge impact. He never had a big impact. He was here for three years and never had a big impact. Well, I said so the same thing about Parker Hazen. So sure, sure. So these things happen. Some guys are like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, Thomas Kithier, he started at Michigan State. He's gonna, he's gonna have an impact at Valpo. There's no doubt about it, right? I mean, there, there's players like that. Like Alec Peters offered by Northwestern, offered by Boston College, uh, fifth in the Illinois Mr. Basketball vote. Okay, we get it. He's going to be a player for us, no doubt about it. But is there anybody like that right now? And we hear great things about Jahari Williamson, but there's no big conference transfer. There's no guy coming in who is like a, an apps, a Bryce Drew, can't miss type kid. So it's going to be a mystery. It's a great challenge for a new coaching staff. And certainly from watching film, they've brought in some talented kids. How good will they be? It's a mystery. It's going to be, uh, you know, I, I think of my favorite professional team, the Green Bay Packers. They're bringing in Jordan Love to be their quarterback. No clue how it's going to go. But you know what? Every Sunday, I'm going to I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch, and it'll be a beautiful mystery. Same thing with Valpo basketball. Okay, before we go, Todd, I do want to uh, – one of the things that I thought would be fun um, would be to look back a little bit at the Matt Lottick era. Uh, obviously and, – and you talk about how I told you about Jackson Edwards – I don't normally get to break news to you. And, and a lot of times it goes the other direction. You're breaking news to me. Like Todd's a, a, the reporter behind the reporter. Um, but I, I found out that Matt was getting let go and called you right away to see if it was true and, and ended up being the one to inform you. And I kind of feel bad about that to a degree, but um, obviously this is tough, right? The, you know, we just, Luke Gore is a guy that you and I have known forever. We just helped him move out of his house this weekend. Maybe one of the most crushing moments was when his young daughter, Christine, who's also, by the way, a diehard Green Bay Packer fan, uh, when she came up to me and said, are you still going to cheer for Valpo now that my dad is gone? And I just said, well, I'm the biggest Wichita State fan now. It was my answer to her. So right. she's great. So obviously this is tough, right? Like, no one ever wants to talk about people that are friends in the past tense a little bit, but as a reporter and broadcaster, we have to look back on things. So I thought a cool thing to do here would be maybe to take a look at the top five best moments and top five worst moments of the Matt Lottick era. I've not shared this list with you. I'm going to go five, five, four, four, three, three, all the way down. And I just wanted your reaction on some of these events. Okay. Uh should we start with the best moment or should we start with the worst moment? Start with the worst because then we're going to end with the number one best moment. We go. Okay, good, good. All right. Number five. So some of these are, are, are actual games and others of these are, are just singular, like bigger collections of moments or concepts or whatever. Okay. Uh, I did this uh, yesterday, just kind of threw it together. My number five worst moment was actually a singular game. And it was one that it recalibrated my brain this year it was the Chicago State loss. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the the final score, which was 87 to 74, but it was the idea of being down 25 at the half. And then what hit me was Todd, like two days later, I remember walking into the arc and looking up at all of the banners of the mid-con banners and knowing that like Valpo would destroy that team day in and day out. And just something had happened, right? Either Chicago State caught lightning in a bottle, they hit a bunch of shots. That, to me, felt like not the beginning of the end, but that felt like, I don't know, it was just, it was terrible. That loss yeah, was awful. You're right. Um, I, and I thought a lot about that. Like, you know, the history between Valpo and Chicago State was so one-sided. But there had been, you know, there's outliers all the time. And I'm not making any excuses. Uh, that was a... This year's Chicago State team had some big-time talent, and they got hot. They had games like this. This wasn't the only game where they came out, they stomped somebody, or they jumped on somebody. Um, but it was well, – They were beating Gonzaga at one point, right? They were. They were. They were. Um, but you're right, though. Paul, there was something about that <clears throat> that brought back memories, like of all the times that Valpo would go to Chicago State and beat them soundly. Now, Lou Bosch Barton had a team that went in there – uh, obviously it was a different 
convocation center at that point before they rebuilt um, built that brand new outstanding building. Um, and, and we got blitzed pretty good. We went to Chicago State. And there were times we had to come back from way back. And they've always had at least some talent, but never really looked very organized, to be honest with you. I think I've got a better coach in there. And they did bring in um, like three real studs who just happened to play out of their minds against us. And, um, you know, there was a lot of disappointment in this year's Valpo season. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. Uh, sadly was the fact that we had like eight games in league play in which, Oh, uh, no, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. We had a chance to win it in the final minute, but this was not one of them. Yeah, this was not. There were a couple games, the Toledo game, the opener, the Chicago state game. There was another one later on. I think one of those, uh, tournament games where it was just like that. Yeah. 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 Sanford. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's shift uh, to a good moment. The number five best moment in the Matt Lottick era uh, to me was kind of moments in the 2018, 19 season. Um, Valpo goes to UNLV, which I know was great for you. You get to go to Vegas on a road trip, uh, win that game. Derek Smith at 20 and 12, a game that really stands out to me, although it was against a bad George Washington team was kind of a revenge George Washington game. Bakari at 27, Fizikas at 22. Those two weren't healthy together often, but when they were in that game, you got an idea of, man, this could really be great. And then Valpo started 4-0 in the Valley, uh, punctuated uh, or, or started really by Marcus Golder's half-court shot. Yeah, That That's season okay. ended 15-18, and 18, but there were moments that year that, man, it felt like everything was rolling. It was really a two-year span where Matt Lotta couldn't catch a break, and it was mainly with injuries. And, uh, you know, John Kaiser missed action in those two seasons. Fizikas missed a ton of games. If Fizikas had been healthy, uh, things would have looked different. And remember, the John Javon Freeman Liberty was injured, uh, injured sick the following season in the home stretch when Valp was playing for, for position and really didn't really become healthy uh, until the semifinals of the conference tournament. And, you know, Valpo won the quarterfinal game against Loyola with Javon Freeman Liberty, a non-factor in that game. Oh, yeah, he could barely that walk. Was, I mean, he was really that, under the weather. That was part of that two-year span where Matt Lodick had to play through a ton of issues, whether it be injuries, uh, guys failing out of school, uh, guys getting sick. Uh, look at all the games that Nick Robinson missed, who was a very talented player. They just couldn't stay healthy, and and players then left the program because the team didn't perform as well. It was a rough go at throughout many seasons for Matt, and some of it, you know, to be as candid as possible, wasn't his fault. But it's anytime it's under your watch, I guess they say uh, you're the one to answer for it. So the number four worst moment. Uh, I should have had theme music for this. The number four worst moment was something you just alluded to a little bit ago. This season, going 0-7 in Valley games that either went to overtime or were decided by fewer than five points. Hmm. I, I just want to ask, because a lot of those were road games, how suffocating is the bus trip after a game like that? Uh, it was brutal. And the other thing that, that happened was, you know, some of the games was like, oh, well, at least we played well. But then as, then as the year went on and they kept losing more and more games, like at the buzzer, it was like, how does this keep happening? How does this keep happening? How does it keep happening? Uh, and again, some of it's got to fall on the coaches. Other, other of it is just the randomness of college basketball. Uh, that game at Murray State at the end of the year, they played without Quentin Green uh, and had the game won. And a ball gets deflected and tipped out. And a kid who hadn't made a three all game knocks down a three. What was the game at Missouri State? The Missouri State one's 20, the one that really 20, stands out. Uh, 20% three-point shooter hits like back-to-back -back threes late in the game, down eight with three minutes to go. It's just the odds of that were not very good. So, yeah, you could say, well, why don't we have a hand in his face? Uh, why are we allowing a three-point shot? Like, a lot of it is just the way the ball bounced at that time. And a lot of the other things is you made guys shoot who aren't good shooters who made shots. Uh, it was just the last six weeks of the season was just about as gut-wrenching a stretch 
that I've been around in over 30 years in, in Valpo basketball. Yeah. And it's, it's, you, you wonder if, 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 if the averages play out and Valpo goes three and four or four and three in those games, are we talking about something completely different today? I don't know. You know, uh, let's talk about happy times. The number four best moment in the Matt Lottick era. This is something that to me was so much fun. Uh, I know you had a blast. I had a blast. Uh, everyone around us had a blast going to Las Vegas in the fall of 2016 for a tournament. And a lot of times Valpo's gone to Vegas, by the way, they've played in like secondary tournaments, right? Against Northern Colorado teams, stuff like that. They went and they played in the MGM main event against Alabama and BYU. And this was a big event, really nice at MGM, uh, a good win against Alabama. It's fascinating to think now today that Alabama is where they're at nationally ranked top five. Uh, but then a win against BYU in which Matt Loddick puts on a coaching clinic on the final possession of the game. BYU needs a three-pointer. This is a kind of defense that you love when you put yeah. what all five guys. Just walk us through that a little bit and just how great of a coaching job it was in that game. Well, I, I still don't understand at any level why teams defense the three-point shot in the final seconds in a man-to-man -man defense. I, it's, there's, there's, you're playing man-to-man -man, uh, because you've got to guard everywhere on the court, right? But you don't need to guard everywhere on the court in this situation. You've got five guys. Uh, if anybody goes to the basket, you let them go. Uh, and and Matt, this first time they played it, and Balpo's played it numerous times since, he surrounded the three-point arc. Uh, and really, most teams in this situation, maybe there's three, four, five seconds left, uh, a lot of times we'll have a guy dribble into the lane and then hope they converge and then kick it out. But what happened and happened against Rhode Island a week later was if a guy would try to drive in the lane, Valpo's going to let him go. And then he's got to try to throw it out. And you got five guys defending the arc that way. And I think it works a lot better. Uh, it, it, it Conceptually, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, you can't get picked off because you're just guarding an area. I'm all for the way they did it. And what a great weekend that was. Yeah, it was so great. And just remember that defense that was played that, again, iced the game against BYU. There was a stretch there, a two-year stretch, where Valpo owned BYU. And I actually really thought it would be cool for Valpo to travel out to BYU and play out there. Those were some fun games, both in the NIT and in Vegas. Um, and both came down, by the way, both came down to a three-point attempt by BYU on the final second of the That's game. That's right. Shane Hammock blocking it the uh the in the NIT and um oh just such a fun fun memory. That Vegas tournament too, just a good time. I don't remember a lot of it cuz I was overserved uh, a couple times there. It was an NFL Sunday we were out there, fantasy yeah. playoffs, I think. It was uh oh, it was a lot of fun. All right, the uh number 3 worst moment. And, and again, we've kind of alluded to some of these too. Some personnel issues that that just hamstrung the program. The Jabril Adekoya situation from the 16-17 year, um, Joe Burton becoming academically ineligible midway through the year, uh, Fizikas' injuries, and then Thomas Kithier not being able to play this year. I think if you take, if you put Jabril on that team down the stretch, they they make it. You know, you could also throw in Alec, Alec Peters. Peters. Right, Alec Peters. Yeah, but, but, but we'll talk about that okay, got it, later got on. It. That's, that's uh, a whole separate injury. It's a whole separate injury. But, you know, there's just every year it felt like, you know, some of the stuff, as we said, you know, it's in your control, but it's out of your control. And, uh, you know, the Burton thing, right, getting, you know, deemed academically ineligible, they're out on a road trip and he gets sent home from the trip. And then Fizikas, never really being able to get healthy. Uh, I, you know, there's not even really a comment on this other than. I just, there was a lot of woulda, couldas, you know, if, if these guys would have been healthy or, or smart. Well, look at the players that we've touched on. Joe Burton, Ryan Fizikas, Thomas Kithier. What do the three of them all have in common? All they, high major transfers. They were high major transfers who were legit top 200 kids coming out of high school. And Valpo found a way to get all three of those kids, and none of them could stay on the court for them. I mean, the, so the people said, well, Matt Loddick didn't recruit well. He got unbelievably unlucky when he did recruit well. 
um, everybody misses. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for him. You know, he knows he had to be better. I think anybody who watched Valpo basketball knows, hey, the answer always lies with who's the head coach. That's just the way life is. Uh, and Matt, to his credit, is not one to make excuses. But in all honesty, for those who say, like, he didn't get unlucky, I mean, you're fooling yourself. I mean, the yeah. fact that all three of those guys barely played any basketball for Valpo, they were all studs and couldn't get out, stay on the court. And when they did, you know, Kithier goes to Loyola and we almost beat a, like a team that was basically borderline top 25. Ryan Vizik is finally healthy for the conference tournament. We make a run all the way to the conference championship game. Um, Joe Burton played, what, five games in a Valpo uniform? Uh, he just couldn't stay on the court because of academics. Uh, maybe that's Matt's fault for taking a kid who's not academically sound. But listen, when you're trying to build the program, you're going to take some risks. And you can't just ignore the fact that that kid was incredibly talented as a transfer from Oklahoma State, who was a rotational player there, who we thought we would have for two years. And after five games, was gone. And the season started to unravel after that. Yeah, it was brutal. Just brutal. Just, again, thinking about, you know, how, you know, we talk about right now, we don't know who these guys are coming in when each one of these guys committed. Oh, it was, I mean, right. man, in heaven. Right. Especially Fazekas. I, re I still remember where I was. I, I'd set up a thing, an alert on my phone that, like, Fazekas didn't tweet very often, but I knew he was going to announce his commitment any day. And I had alerts on my phone that anytime he was going to text or, tw or tweet, excuse me, um, it was going to alert my phone. I still remember where I was standing when he tweeted out he was coming to Valpo. I was like, oh, this is a game changer here. Um, yeah. All right, number, number three yeah. top moment. Let's go with number three top moment. Uh, Matt Loddick accomplished something that that Homer Drew has never done, Bryce Drew has never done, and Scott Drew didn't do at Valpo. Um, a pair of nationally ranked victories. Um, both games at home, uh, beating number 21 Rhode Island, a game you referenced a little bit earlier in 2016. Awesome, awesome win. Um, and then beating number 25 Drake in 2021, a game that Ben Cricky mentioned in the last podcast that I did as maybe one of his favorite moments in college, except for there were no fans of the game. Drake yeah. was undefeated. I just think to myself, had fans been at that game, Drake was nationally ranked. They were undefeated. They went on to go to the NCAA tournament where they beat Wichita State in a play-in game. Um, had fans been there, that may have very well been a court-storming situation of beating a, a previously okay. undefeated team. Um, for sure. And so I just – I remember thinking how awesome it was to beat nationally ranked teams. Just something that hadn't happened in Valpo all that often, really, since beating Ole Miss, right? Yeah, right, correct, correct. There have been teams like Borderline right on the right on the edge of the top 25. Um, the – we – that was – was that a Saturday, Sunday? Like, didn't we play the day before and almost beat Drake, and we came back the very next day? Isn't that how they were doing it? Yeah, then? yeah, it was it was back-to-back -back games. Saturday, Sunday. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they almost beat him the first day and it was kind of disappointed. They went on a big run and, and Drake ended up beating Valpo the day before. And the next day it was like, all right, well, when is this going to turn around? Like, you know, Valpo got off to a big lead and it was like, all right, this is exactly what happened yesterday. Is this going to turn around? Is it going to turn around? And, and it never did. And Valpo kind of ran away. And I think one thing to Matt Loddick's credit is uh, I'm not saying he had Drake's number, but we certainly were incredibly competitive game in, game out against Drake, which had such a veteran team over these last three or four years. Um, for whatever reason, Valpo seemed to perform well against Drake. The games almost were always close. And case in point was this year, a narrow loss there in which it was a, what, a four-point game with about 30 seconds to go. And then the game at Valpo, in which another one of those games where Valpo led very late. And uh, Tucker DeVries got fouled shooting a three and he made three free throws and the game ended up going to overtime. It was like a fluky play uh, that allowed the game to go to overtime and then Drake wins in overtime. Number two worst moment in the Matt Loddick era would be 
just the outpouring of outgoing transfers every, you know, and, and, and the two big ones, Javon Freeman, Liberty and Donovan Clay really stand out, but Freeman Liberty, that one, uh, so tough, you know, he, he publicly says he's coming back. COVID hits people get in his ear. He's gone. You know, the team would have been just so completely different with him there. And, you know, I, I, I've heard plenty of rumors that there was chances he might have eventually come back down the line. Um, and, and how different would that all of that be viewed? Valpo just couldn't keep guys. You know, Agnosovic yeah. comes in and he's a was a perfect Valpo player. And COVID did give him a bad experience. He leaves. Donovan Clay goes in conference. Sheldon Edwards leaves. You know, Sheldon would have played 30 minutes a game this past season. He goes to Loyola, can't get off the bench. Um, did they all leave because of the coach? Many of these guys spoke glowingly of Matt Loddick on their way out the door and have continued to do so. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's tough. You you can't, if you can't keep, if you can't grow and develop talent, you can't win. This is a, this is where I've been saying this is going to be a great test for this new coaching staff. This is going to be a test for the Valpo athletic program in general. Um, they got to find ways to keep people and, I think we would have to do a whole show on what went wrong and what needs to be done to keep players. Um, but of course, Valpo's not the only program going through this, but Valpo really got hit hard because of the players leaving where at a Valpo university, you're not going to get two top hundred kids each year. But when you get a freshman who's all league, you know, makes the all freshman team. Those are the guys you have to keep because those are the guys you build programs around. Donovan Clay stayed one more year. Javon Freeman Liberty stayed one more year. Jason Ognasevic left after the freshman year. Sheldon Edwards stayed one more year. I mean, you're just not, you're not reaping the benefits of bringing in homegrown players. And now here's Roger Powell bringing in all these freshmen. Uh, can he figure out a way to turn the corner and can he get the support from the university, whether it be NIL, improving experience on campus, doing all the things that are needed to try to convince kids to play? Because you said something very important there, Paul. The players who left never had a negative word to say about Matt Lottick. They they weren't saying, hey, coach stunk. I didn't like the way they were running the program. I didn't like the way they used me. And I'm leaving. It was always something else. Um, and a lot of those issues that were there that led to players leaving are still there. Uh, yeah. You know, the experience we've been to, I have been to all the places in the league now multiple times. And you look at the arenas, you look at the practice gyms, uh, you look at the support. and I mean, this is no, this is no mystery. That was a little behind right now. Uh, and they've got people working hard to improve it. And, you know, we've got a president that supports athletics. We've got an athletic director who's a hardworking, good man who wants the best for the program, uh, who has put his efforts behind Roger Powell. What can these guys do to give him enough assistance? We know one thing. The staff has grown. There's more support from a staff standpoint. Um, maybe we need more support from an academic standpoint as well. Got to avoid these academic issues. Uh, there's a lot there. And it would take forever to go through it. Um, but you're right. The biggest problem with Matt Loddick's program over the last seven years was retention. It wasn't recruiting. It wasn't game coaching. It was retention. And a program like Valpo, some programs can get away with losing a starter, but a program that continually loses guys who are on the all-freshman team and you're Valpo and you're not going to be bringing in like Big Ten starters each year as transfers. You're not going to be bringing in high major transfers every single year who can come right in and play. You have to retain those players who are successful. It will be a big challenge for the next staff and uh, and we'll see – whenever we look back on the Roger Powell time, if this is something that we look at. All right. Number two, top moment. This was a, 
you know, I, I think because of how difficult this past season was with the gut punches of losses all the time and losing streaks and all of that, it caused me to, to, to realize I didn't, re- I, I didn't, you know, we always say about the good old days. You never realize they're the good old days until they're over. Right. There was a stretch there in 2017 and, and Matt's first season as the head coach where Valpo won eight straight games by an average of about 14 points a game. They marched their way through the Horizon League to a regular season title. Alec Peters was on a run. You know, at the end of his junior year, he was on a magnificent run that we'd never really seen the likes of before. But he was doing this again during his senior year. He was just so efficient. Um, There was like a 30-point win here, a 25-point win there. Um, They went from, I think, the first week. they, They lost an early season, early conference game to Oakland, and then went pretty much like 30 days without a loss. I can't imagine in the Valley going 30 days without a loss, you know? So again, you think about the good old days and not realizing when you're in them, but that those were the good old days of of winning eight straight in a row in that season. And almost in the top 25, I think at a point. And then of course, Alec got injured, but you're right. That team was fantastic. Uh, Tavon Walker, Shane Hammond, Great group of guys uh, did it without Jabril Atacoya that they had uh, was uh, Jace Roy and, and, and Derek Smith were both freshmen at the time rotating at center. Um, it was, you're right. A very, very, very talented team led by a player who went through a stretch from the end of his junior year uh, through most of his senior year. That was the best stretch of basketball by one Valpo player I had seen in 30 years. Insane. I mean, this this Alec Peters, tough moment for Alec the other day, too, by the way. He's on uh, Olympiacos, and they lost on a last-second shot in the EuroLeague Championship. I don't really understand how it all works because he's still got a big season left because they play in Greece now. I don't, I don't. So I think it was a big game. It was the championship game of one particular league with that team's in, like, nine different leagues. I don't quite understand it. But right. um, a tough loss for Alec. Uh, and that takes us to the worst moment in the Matt Lodic era. And there have been many bad moments in the last six years, but seven years ago, losing Alec to injury, first off, was a problem. Already you lost Jabril, and now you lose Alec to injury, but you still have a lot of talent on the team, right? You got Shane, you got Tavon, and you go to Detroit, which was a house of horrors the year a year before that, losing to Green Bay. And Valpo plays last place Milwaukee, and it's 16 to 12 at the half. And Valpo loses 43 to 41. This is a team that you were certain was going to go to the NCAA tournament, cakewalk through the Horizon League tournament, go to the NCAA tournament, restore glory to the program, yada, yada, yada. And I remember when the buzzer sounded, I just kind of looked around and I was like, this isn't real. Like, this didn't just happen. Like when they lost to Green Bay the year before on some freak craziness, one guy shot 50 free throws, a broadcaster got ejected in the game. There was just weird stuff in that game. Um, Losing to Milwaukee? Are you kidding me? What do you remember Uh, about that, Todd? uh, Let's start with this. Let's point out that I was not the broadcaster who was ejected. That's true. There's a lot of people who probably don't know this story. So when you say there was a broadcaster ejected and people know I was doing the game, it wasn't me. It was the Green Bay play-by-play announcer who actually got called back in. It was a whole big scene. He's a hand talker and he gestured toward a ref a when talker. he said. Pat Adams. Pat Adams was a little sensitive there, was the official. He was very, very sensitive that a, a radio guy made a, a hand gesture at him. Uh, anyway, uh, I remember walking into the basketball wing as we were about to board the bus to Wright State and seeing Alec in crutches. And I just like looked at him and he shook his head and I go, you know, you just, everything sinks because of all the buildup of how good that team was. And remember that was a team that went to the NIT championship game a year earlier. And you had said, all right, well now we're going to take it a step further and win a game in the NCAA tournament. And that's was kind of like the direction we were going all year. And I, and I felt for Alec because in my immediate thought was like, if this injury is serious, does it affect his draft status? And it did because he was projected on all the boards to be a late first round pick ended up being a late second round pick after the foot injury. Um, 
the day the day at Detroit, you know, the day that will live in infamy, I guess. Um, what a just horrible display of basketball it ended up being. Uh, and then I remember like going back and people saying, well, uh, we'll probably still go to the NIT. I'm like, we want to go to the NIT. Shane Hammock was, I don't want to say done, but was not healthy himself. Uh, did not play well at all in Detroit. Uh, and then didn't, was a non-factor in, in our NIT game against Illinois. That last couple of weeks was about as awful a stretch as you ever want to go through, starting with the day Alec got injured to ending getting blown out at Illinois in the NIT. Uh, I mean, I'd like to throw that whole three-week window into the garbage can. Excellent pick for the worst moment. <laughs> I I was trying to figure out. I was like, all right, what what's the worst moment? And again, it was so long ago, and and it was just in the infancy of Matt's coaching. Um but I don't really know how you ever recover from something like that. And not really mad. Cause again, like people will say, okay, well, he won a conference title. Well, they were Bryce's guys, Matt recruited all he was on that, the staff too. But so it's hard to kind of pin all this on Matt. Um, when I think of the Matt Lodick era, I'm going to think more about the Valley than I'm going to think about the horizon league. But that moment, that loss to Milwaukee and just sitting there and like, I, I just couldn't believe it again. I couldn't believe that it happened again in Detroit after the loss the year before to Green Bay. Going to that place two years in a row, expecting to walk away the Horizon League champion and go to the NCAA tournament, it didn't happen. Now, let's look at the top moment of the Matt Lodick era. And you want to talk about expectations in a conference tournament. How about unexpectations, unexpected runs? The 2020 Arch Madness run, uh, good things happen when you throw Paul Oren on color commentary, I think, right? Um, we did the games together. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that first one, the win against Evansville, which barely happened. You know, they need a late block by Donovan Clay to win that game. Um, and then the win against Loyola is is probably the pinnacle. People kind of forget the Missouri State win, 89-82. Great game there. Javon Freeman was outstanding. Uh, and then a Bradley game that I thought really could have set up to be kind of motivation going forward. Then COVID hits and everything goes to hell, but that stretch pretty special weekend. Yeah. And I think one thing I pointed out was finally being close to a hundred percent changed that team, uh, getting Ryan Fazekas back for that final month and then finally being healthy. And then when he finally came back, then Javon Freeman had mono and, and he missed the end of the regular season and really was a non-factor in those first two games. But the game against Missouri State in the semifinals, when that team finally was clicking on all cylinders, you mentioned the final was 89-82. It wasn't really a game. It was a double-digit game throughout the whole second half. Very talented Missouri State team. And then they go out and they lead Bradley for more than a half, but it was their fourth game in four days. And Turned out they kind of ran out of gas. and No one had ever done that in the Valley before. No team that played on Thursday had ever made the conference title game before. But if they had been healthy all year, they never would have been in kind of the position they were in where they had to play four games in four days. The only reason why they finished uh, at 500 in the league and not significantly over 500 was all the games that Fazekas and then at the end were missed by Javon Freeman Liberty. Any other moments stand out? I mean, you know, I just threw all this at you. Is there any other any other moments? You'll obviously you'll remember the road trips, right? You remember the time spent. You know, maybe a lot of the stuff away from the court, right? I I think uh, there were a couple games at Illinois State that I always look back at as being like these memorable games. Uh, Javon Freeman Liberty played those two games at Illinois State, and they were incredible. The freshman year where he had like. I don't remember the numbers at halftime or something like 20 points, six steals or six assists, like four steals, four rebounds. That was like his halftime box in that game at Illinois State and Valpo won. And then the following year, Javon's sophomore year, uh, where he scored 25 in the second half. Yeah, that game was fun for me because I was down 20 in the second half and came back and won. Yeah, so I was coming from state swimming in Indy. And it took longer to get the stories in or whatever. And I drove from Indianapolis to Bloomington and I got there at halftime and I walked in and Valpo was down 18. And I'm like, why did I even bother? You know? And then 
I just remember sitting with my my good friend Jim Benson, who covered Illinois State. I said, "Why did I even bother?" And he said, "Don't count out Valpo yet." And here comes Valpo, and this amazing. Like I was so glad I made the trip. Uh, and I think we found out like later that Javon scored like twenty five in the second half, and Valpo came back and won the game. Remember he had that steal and the layup right at the end of the game. Uh, that he probably had mono at the time because I think he was uh, tested positive for mono like three or four days later, and they said, "Well, it had to be in his system." So that was uh, that game was that that will go down. Uh, I don't know how many more years I'm going to be doing Valpo basketball, but that game at Illinois State will go down as one of my all time favorites. Yeah, definitely. Definitely an audible mention there. So, uh, Todd, thank you for kind of reliving this a little bit with me. I, I, you know, we didn't really give Matt closure because, you know, he was gone, you know, he got let go. And then it was like, all right, got to jump into the coaching search and all of that. I did want to look back on this a little bit. Excited to see where he ends up. I know he's got a lot of different things on his plate right now. We're, we're big Wichita State fans now. Go Luke Gore. That's right. exciting. And uh, very good. Hey, enjoy the summer. Enjoy some much-deserved time off. Hey, Paul, let's come back in August and talk a little Valpo soccer. Of course. So this is going to be a, uh, a big-time soccer program moving forward. Um, we're going to talk about it. We're going to you get some hooliganism in the stands. We're going to have a great time here. Valpo is yeah. going to be a soccer school. So thank you, Todd. Thank you, Paul.